hey, Mambo number five all day. I'm not sure what number he's wearing, actually. You're, you're, but, really, uh, you're really doing a great job right now, Zach. You're doing I, a fantastic job. <laughs> Nate, it's a quarter to 11 right now. I'm, 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 my brain thinks I'm sleeping. I'm, no, I would have I stopped already. That's what I'm saying. You're saying so many good things. Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. Me and Nate are on the pods to break down on the mics would be the appropriate word there, I suppose. On the mics, back on the pod, however you want to say it, to break down the final week of action in the OUA. Uh, this Going into this weekend, uh, I know there was so much hype about these matchups and I'd say many of them some more than others definitely lived up to the hype nate uh seemingly as you were all season long you were in attendance for one of these games uh we'll get to um when we get to that game but you know you we didn't get to get your perspective going into this weekend what was the biggest thing you were looking forward to with all these games having some kind of playoff implication on the line uh i mean for me it was really about kind of informing like the playoff picks going into next week and you know Felt felt strongly about certain teams, um, and some of those teams didn't really live up to kind of the building that maybe we had for them. You know, maybe we were kind of, I think, hoping as well for kind of, you know, a bit of a, a closer affair with Western, especially after the Windsor affair. Um, but I think kind of seeing, again, I mean, the picture keeps getting clearer and clearer each week, and obviously going to the playoffs, um, you know, there's no there's no more time for for seeing what is going on. I mean, it is what it is from here on out, and it's uh, win or go home. So that's it. Well, you mentioned that Ottawa game, and though it was a disappointing performance, um, especially you know, I, I was I was very close to picking the GGs in that one, and especially as you said, when Hill goes out, you think maybe they can uh, play him a little closer. I, I need to off the jump, uh, you know, uh, take a little bit of a. Uh, trying to think of the uh the vegan friendly term for eating crow but uh, i was pretty harsh on our preview pod for what i misread um in the oua breakdown of the playoff scenarios i'm gonna just throw that one on tom somehow because he read the scenario out to me i I misheard i didn't misread well i probably i did a bit of both it's on me um where i thought that the explanation of the playoff scenarios was one in which um two seven and one teams in western ottawa would only favor the ggs if they won by 17 I just clearly missed the point that that was only if it was a three-way with Queens there as well. Um, so I was probably a little too, no, I was definitely a little too harsh on the uh, folks at the OUA um, on that one. I, I won't uh, I won't rescind comments I've made about the OUA in other regards where I think I've been um, on point about things that they could have done better. But uh, yeah, hey, my bad on that one. But uh you know, ton of stuff that we'll get into with all these games, and uh, the game you were in attendance to was no doubt the the, the most fascinating of them all. So we'll, we'll we'll hop right into it, but not before, of course, we do our our thing. And for the last time of the regular season in the year 2022, hand out a little hardware. Nate, who are you liking on the offensive side of the ball this week? Yeah, I'm going to that crucial U of T Mac game, and and for me, it's Kinsale Phillip. And you know what? You can look at his numbers. And I'm not going to jump off the page to you. Uh, 14 to 29, so about 50%, 189, no touchdowns and a pick. But uh, I could tell you being at this game, um, his performance was absolutely electric. Um, you know, I knew you was, were going to say electric. That's the only way to describe it. I just, just like, yeah, sorry. Without question, and I mean, with, you know, sort of the lack of the passing game, it's really, you know, kind of something we've been missing for a few weeks is him really taking over the spotlight with his legs, you know, had eight carries for 75 yards. And even on top of that, just, really on several occasions, eliminating negative plays that would have been, you know, sacks for losses and things like that. That has such a huge impact on the offense. And, you know, there are more than a few times in the game where, you know, being in the stands, it has that extra element of people just all around you going, wow, and not, you know, really marveling um, at the talent on display from him. So just, I mean, a huge shout out to him and kind of, you know, kind of, I'm not going to say carrying that team to to the victory because the defense played a huge part, but um, it was a real kind of, gutsy and um you know come to life performance from from him in particular that we've been missing for a few weeks and you know came up clutch when the when it was necessary to make the playoffs yeah and i have my main thoughts about that game um relate to the, my inability to watch it at many times um through the oua.tv uh, uh link but uh 
when I when I did have it on the screen, he certainly was popping off, um, both with his arm and with his legs. Um, I'm going a little off script from what we talked about beforehand. I'm going to start off by shouting out, um, you know, we talked all year long about this Carlton team being like up and down and getting a consistency going. And honestly, they're one of their most consistent pieces. Um, well, has been the brothers Ferdinand, but specifically Kasim Ferdinand. So I want to start off by acknowledging the game he had. Eight receptions, 89 yards, and two touchdowns. But I also want to use that to shout out the individual that I was telling you I was going to and sort of bookending um, for a little, for a nice little imagery, a, guy, a, a younger player like Kasim, um, sort of really finding his way in the OUA as, as a young, um, you know, up-and-coming top receiver. And then on the other hand, um, Though the numbers don't jump off the page, we'd be remiss to not mention the name of Gordon Lamb. And I'm sure we would have gotten to him when we get to that game because, frankly, there's not all that much else exciting to talk about from that game. But, of course, with his five receptions in the uh, loss to Windsor, uh, Gordon Lamb is now the all-time leading uh, receiving uh, receiver uh, in receptions. I probably could have worded that much more coherent. We're recording later again. Uh, so, once again, coherence isn't my, uh, isn't my strong suit right now. But... Gordon Lamb um, passing Curly Gittins Jr. So something about that uh, KW area football uh, on those squads. Uh, they're hurling, hurling the ball, and they have some great, great individuals out there um, hauling it in and uh, you know scoring many touchdowns along the way. Of course, it's hard to not mention Trey Ford's name when we think about Gordon Lamb, um, but it would be uh, a, a disservice to the quality of football player he is to just completely put that on. Well, he played with five. So uh, shout out to two. Um, Gordon Lamb, um, yeah, hell of a career, and uh, I believe, yes, that was the last game we would have seen him in. Um, I'll give you a chance if you have any words on him there briefly, or if we want to just go into defense, uh, I'll throw you the floor either way. No, I think I'll just say what kind of we mentioned before the pod, and that's like, I feel like something somebody maybe we've always mentioned, but not quite talked about that much. And to be honest, I like, I was almost shocked to hear that you know, that record wasn't played for him on the weekend, and you know, maybe that's just a, just a lack of me kind of you know, watching Waterloo football games over the years, but he's been a guy. I mean, you know, when you put up numbers like that, it means you've been, been there your whole career, you know, years one through five kind of making plays for that team and, you know, a real illustrious career uh, for Gordon, but moving on to defense, um, I'm going to the Queens Laurier game and, you know, to a Queens defense that's just, I think has been absolutely nasty over the past couple of weeks, just such a physical defense and, and so intimidating, honestly, just kind of watching the tape and what they, what they've been able to do um, and this week in particular against Laurier. I'm going with Van Wishart, uh, the defensive end, ended up having three sacks in the game um, and just, you know, going down the stretch in that game in general. I mean, it was close for a while, but in that second half, I mean, I think that defense really just ascended to another level and they were all over Taylor Elgersma. And I think, you know, that what was really sealed the game for them in the end, the reason they were able to pull away um, was their defense just shutting them down in the second half. So I'm going with Van Wishart for my defense. Yeah, and you know, Queens sort of on both sides of the trench is really showing that they're... It's 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 tough to say that they're the top dog uh, when it comes to, you know, the O-line, D-line game because um, obviously I'm about to... I'm, I'm, I'm literally about to acknowledge the other team that would be uh, in that conversation and in most people's books, the top dog. But, I mean, they certainly are, uh, are dominant in the trenches on both sides of the ball. Um, obviously, I was alluding to the Western Mustangs there. And I'm uh, I'm going with... Uh, I'm going with one, uh, Max Nixon, uh, six total tackles, two sacks uh, on the day. And, you know, it really felt like Western's game plan was we're not going to let Sim and Kinda beat us and we'll have to let Miracle get after it. Um, and obviously Ottawa wasn't able to really do either of those things, whether getting the run game going or get Miracle going in the air. And, and the same way that, uh, you know, uh, we've talked about like how so many of these fearsome defensive linemen can just make quarterbacks be uncomfortable. Um, and we'll get into this game briefly and kind of break it down a little 
more writ large, but I mean, Merrick going nine for 20 in this game, you know, his numbers don't always pop off, but usually feels like, you know, a little, little better in, in the completion percentage than that. But anyways, uh, Nixon, big part of that defensive front doing just that and making them un- him uncomfortable and just swarming JP before he can pop off for any big yardage. Uh, special teams, uh, Nate, uh, we are uh, in lockstep on this one, but it was once again from the game you were in attendance for. So I, uh, I will hand you the floor. Yeah, we're going with the U of T kicker, Samuel Henke, and, you know, three for three on the day with uh, a nine, nine out of the 13 points for the Blues. Um, and I mean, their special teams unit in general, um, I mean, technically accounting for all of their points, given the other four points were through uh, punting safeties. <laughs> so, I mean, the U of T special teams unit uh, defense, you know, special teams in general, really great. But, um, you know, being three for three on field goals, even with chip shots, I had the longest was 27, but you know, at the end of the day, like they were in a position to win because of their kicking game. And um, you know, ultimately that's kind of, you know, what put them in the position to win. So I think simple as that, you know, kicking, like you can have a dramatic situation where, you know, you're Campbell fair and you're hitting a 55 yard game winner, but it's in a game like this, that it could be so easily overlooked, but I mean, to like not have to worry about that is is such a huge thing for a team and you know what he came up and he's a, a big reason why they're in the playoffs uh this week and they're still in meetings this morning zach yeah and you know what since we're talking about their special teams unit i mean i'll, I'll shout out dante master giuseppe as well putting the heck out of the ball 369 totally yards on eight punts as well so just a great job by those special forces uh over at uft and uh hey you know what that was a team that very much uh was on our uh on our you know what when our preseason uh predictions came out and uh hey you know what Maybe we take a bit of credit for inspiring the troops to really pull together this uh, this great season so far. And, and and certainly they're hoping it goes beyond just the regular season. Well, I mean, obviously it is, but more than just a, a one and out situation in the playoffs. But we will get to that briefly. Let's hop into some of these games and we'll go um, in order that they are listed on the OUA website. So we're starting out in the nation's capital where the Western Mustangs... Ooh, they kind of beat up on those Ottawa GGs. Final score in this game, Western 38, Ottawa 18. Um, We already set this up in terms of perhaps the most disappointing part of this was the fact that um, Evan Hillock left the game with, don't know the details of it, but favoring his shoulder, which is like, you know, nightmarish for any, you know, quarterback coach or anyone on that staff to have to think about. Um, and then, you know, we saw Jackson White come in, who just had such a fascinating career, uh, you know, starting with Mac, duking it out with uh, Andreas Duick, Dewey winning the spot there, leading them to the Yates, him transferring to Western and, you know, having to sit out the year, all these things. And, and, and you know what? Huge credit to him. And I was, I was close to giving him offensive player of the game if it wasn't for the fact I was already already going to give a, a defensive player for Western player of the game. I wasn't going to double down on the ponies, but he goes 10 for 15, two touchdowns, just shy of 200 yards. Um, and, you know, maybe he had some inkling that, like, he'd get playing time in that game um, if it got a little late in the late in the fold. But, you know, certainly not what he was expecting to see. And, no, uh, yeah. and I think that's something that's so, like, underrated as far as, like, quarterback play goes is, like, you have to understand like a guy like him, like you're going in into practice during the week and you're getting maybe four or five of, of 20 of the team reps, you know, during each of the periods. And like, that's not like a ton of prep time. Um, and to come in a game and, you know, it was a little shaky, like immediately, but once he got his legs under him, uh, really comfortable, you know, having the run game in the, in the O-line for Western is obviously a big part of that. But um, I guess, you know, what has been a vaunted Ottawa defense on the year looked pretty comfortable. So, um, you know, losing Evan Hillock, obviously, you know, a really not great situation for Western. But I mean, in terms of kind of, you know, how you respond to that, I mean, this, this is really like best case scenario for them having Jackson White step in and be comfortable as he did against a defense like Ottawa. Well, and, and you mentioned the defense and specifically like what I always go back to with that defense is the, the linebacking core into the secondary being like the strength of it. And, you know, once again, his numbers don't pop off the page necessarily. And it was kind of same story as always um, where the run game ultimately is what got them 279 yards combined rushing for Western. And, you know, there was a moment 
in the game where it was like late in the first quarter and it was Ottawa getting their second possession and like the commentators like Ottawa's run two plays on offense you know and, and just it's tough because it makes sense that you know JP Simkinda and and you Tom and I and possibly a fourth haven't quite sold that out uh, later on this week we'll kind of look at you know some of our you know our, our recap of the season and some of our award winners and JP's name uh, most definitely should get thrown around in the MVP conversation and so it makes sense that this guy has been the one of the main reasons you have been in the position you are already you are in right now um for how he's played all year and so you're gonna keep with that there was sometimes in that game though I was kind of hoping that you know what first and ten get, l- let Ben sling it out a little bit because you know JP finishes 15 carries 47 yards um, two touchdowns of course one coming off of a high snap on a punt and then sort of that kind of getting Ottawa to like inside the five no. and then a late touchdown too but but ultimately there's times where I'm like you know what you keep getting in these like second and seven eight nine and that's putting Ben in a really tough spot. Part of me felt like maybe flip the script a little bit, come out first and 10, maybe hit him on a play action first down or just something. But I just felt like it was tough like, getting these these second and longs. I don't know. No, and I think that was really like the story of the game was kind of the Ottawa offense lacking, you know, rhythm really because I think even, you know, getting those second down situations, like Ben didn't really look that comfortable either. I don't know what it was with the receivers, but uh typically i mean you know you talk about kind of basketball when the when the when the ball's leaving the guy's hands you know do i think it's going in and you know there's it just got to a point in the game where you know when it was leaving the quarterback's hands for ottawa i just i wasn't feeling confident about that being a completion and you know i mean when you're playing western i mean this is really like i think maybe a bit down because you know as someone who i was watching the game live i watched it after seeing the score at halftime it's 20 to 11, you know, it's like, oh, what's going on and, and seeing the final score. But, you know, Ottawa, like as Westerns gave you like as good as chances, like almost you're ever going to get the quarterback goes down early, early in the game. You have, you know, the, the setup, the first Ottawa touchdown, a punt snap goes over the Western punter's head and down to the one yard line. They give you your first touchdown. And, you know, from there, it's like as an offense, you at least got to get like string some first downs together and kind of, because that's what kills you when you play Western is, you know, that running game is going to run you down. And, and you know what, if you get, keep getting those two and outs over and over and over again, like your defense is not going to hold up forever. It's just the, we've seen it you know, time and time again over the past decade with this Western offense. And, you know, ultimately it was, you know, off the Ottawa offenses inability to string string, you know, at least a couple good drives together that I think was their downfall. Um, you know, a bit disappointing. Obviously, I think everyone kind of had high hopes for them going into this week, you know, regardless of Ben Miracle's injury status. And we still don't know what he's playing through. You know what I mean? So I have to factor that in the equation as well. But, you know, definitely confident with Ottawa still going into next week. But, you know, further down the line, and you know, our our our, our hopes for a Western challenger, uh, you know, a little, a little bit bleaker after this game, let's say. Yeah, and and so, and so real quick, Western had just about 17 additional minutes of possession than Ottawa did. Once again, speaking to them, their ability to dominate the the run game and just just chunk it downfield and just grind it all the way down. Um, and you know what, the Ben Miracle point is is well made because. I, you know, not knowing anything about the situation in specific, I, I feel like I just assumed that, hey, you know what, they just figured let's just rest them up for York, let's just whatever, and, you know, maybe that's not a great situation to do either, but it's, you know, maybe there could have, yeah, maybe there was an injury going on, as you said, we, you know. Well, I'll it, tell it you what, like, I don't, I don't notice anything glaring personally, um, but it is, it is, like, he's a guy that you feel like it's pretty normal for him to take off from time to time, you know, didn't see a ton of that in this game, mm. so again, you know, don't know if those two things are connected, but it's something to keep an eye on going forward, obviously. Absolutely. Uh, so with with the win and finishing off their season undefeated, Western gets the single bye for the first place team in the OUA going into round one of the playoffs for Ottawa. They will be staying at home or they'll be hosting the Windsor Lancers. One of two uh, week one rematches that we have in the first round of the playoffs, which is kind of interesting. This one, of course, the script being flipped where that one was in Windsor. But we'll get to that pod. We'll get to that game later in the week when we set up those first round matchups. 
So let's put that game aside, move into our second game. The game that our very own Tom Sterling was calling in the booth. It was your Queen's Golden, Golden Gales, Nate heading down to the K-Dub and taking out the Wilfred Laurier Golden Hawks. Final score in this game, Queens 30, Laurier 11. And, you know, you talked about going into the half of Western and Ottawa being okay. They're just like a touch over a score out of this one. You know, that's punching distance. You know, it's kind of, I mean, hey, that's, you, you can't ask for too much more than that. Um, and then this was a game that we're, it's 3-2 Queens coming out of the first it's 13-2 going into the half you know Laurier brings it within two points in the and, and it was really and, and you know Nate uh pardon me Tom um Tom brought it up on on the on the broadcast where it's like you know don't get it twisted this is a good defensive matchup you know there's always that question of you know bad offense or good defense and you know just on the on the surface of it I mean if you've been watching these two teams you certainly know they're two very strong defenses but once again with that comparison with Queens and Western and how Queens much like Western can dominate in the trenches it is one of those things where, you know, and I feel like we've been saying this a lot this year, where maybe you can hang tight with them, but they're going to beat you down. They're going to beat you up and beat you down and break your will eventually. And it's so hard to hang with them for a full four quarters, leading to Queens putting up 17 in the fourth quarter. Uh, and you kind of mentioned how they were able to get after Algersma a little bit. You know, he finishes 20 for 31, 203 yards, TD, and a pick. Sacked four times, right? Um, and on the flip side, you know, Vreekin, nothing to you know, knock your socks off, but they got the run game going, and it wasn't necessarily, like this is, this game to me was, and the last thing I'll say before I pass to you was almost, you know, Kassar with 97, Longo with 52, Souls with 46. Those are three guys that we've all seen in their own right break off for like one guy will be like the dude that game, you know, 150 plus couple touchdowns. In some ways, I'm like, is it more dangerous when you kind of have like the the, the three of these guys just kind of like beating you down like this? When you went back to the tape, looked this one over, what, what were some of your major takeaways? Oof. I mean, like what, what really popped off the screen for me in this game was how like physical the Queens defense was. And that's, you know, we talked about the pass rush already, but I mean, in the secondary, like, what well, man, I would hate playing against this team so much as a quarterback, uh, you know, constantly beating up guys in the secondary with big hits after every play, you know, the constant DB trope, someone getting up, you know, waving their hands incomplete, incomplete. Um, you know, just not giving guys space, even when they're getting off the ground. Like I like, you know, when, that kind of thing it can really play in a kind of an offensive psyche. And I feel like, you know, over time that really kind of was like the key of the game of like, you know, when it really got down to it, it was like, okay, like Queen's like, no, 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 no. We're, we're like, you know, I don't want to say, I want to say big brother, but we're the more mature of the two teams. Like we're going to face adversity. You know, what? we're going to overcome it. Um, and, you know, coming out of the Mac game last week for Queens, uh, really concerned to see the offense struggle. But I thought them coming up big in a spot like this on the road, I don't have to tell you, it's been a long time since Queens won at Laurier. Uh, you know, so Queens, you know, shout out to you. I appreciate you guys avenging uh, a few of my losses at that stadium this week. Um, you know, so, I, man, it's been like at least eight years or so since getting a win in that place. And for them to come on the scene and explode like that against what is a really good athletic defense um, to be able to throw the ball at least comfortably. And then, you know, the running game and, you know, I feel like they're not quite there at the level of Western where I don't care if you're a good run defense, like we're getting our yards on you. It's going to be at least 200 for us. Like Queens, not quite at that level because I think we've seen them struggle a bit, especially like in the Mac game last week, I think they were held under a hundred, but even in this game, like, it got to a point where it was like, it was inevitable. Like, they're going to get ground down and they're going to get their yards no matter. Like, I don't care if you're a good defense. Like, you can count on us getting our rushing yards. So, um, again, like, really boosting, you know, my confidence in this Queens team going into the playoffs is just, you know, I feel like, you know, we, we saw kind of those huge wins against Guelph and York in the middle of the year. And it was like, yeah, okay, but so what? Um, and I feel like, you know, each week there's been something that I could pull from the game to say, okay, like, these guys, like, they're not – screwing around let's say um i think they're the real deal and and you know probably probably you know our best bet for for a yates cup matchup with those western mustangs at this point in time 
Yeah, I, I know. Uh, at least, I, I, if memory serves, Tom and I have talked a fair bit about sort of how the schedule has perhaps played into or against uh, the favor of certain teams, depending on where some of those weaker matchups are, where some of those more challenging games are, and the ability for teams to, you know, get momentum going. And you highlight that sort of that weird stretch in sort of the mid to like, you know, latter half of the season where they beat the crap out of Guelph. They beat the crap out of York. They get the bye week, and then they get that really fascinating game um, at home against Mac, which, I mean, obviously the Western game served as a challenge for them, obviously. Um, but, you know, Western was able to pull away, you know. Similar, similar to how they pulled away in this game, right? No, it, it, absolutely. And so it, it kind of feels where, you know, you get that challenge against Mac, you get an opponent in their home territory, which, as you highlight, has been historically in the last decade or so a very tough place for Queens to play at. And so I thought this was a really great match, uh, a really great win. And frankly, you, I love the point you make in sort of highlighting that they were kind of being bullies because I kind of feel like for Queens, you have to have that mentality of that, like, yeah, people are going to doubt us going into this. So you know what? Like, let's just go in, like, throw all caution to the wind. And and, and literally, we're going to have to, like, possibly literally beat some people up to, you know, go where they want to go, which is a Yates Cup championship and beyond. So, and like, you know just yeah. in general, I thought this was going to be, you know, a really tough game. I thought it was going to be really tough for them to win this game, honestly, especially just with how the offense performed last week. But, um, for them to rebound like this in an environment like this, and no doubt it was close, but for them to really assert themselves at the end like that, I think, you know, makes me think that they're the real deal going into uh, this next phase of the season. And of course, that next phase of the season um, begins with another rematch from week one where they'll be hosting uh, the UFT Blues, the, uh, the, the Nate Hobbs Invitational, um, if you will. <laughs> And for Laurier, uh, they maintain home field advantage going up against. Um, I'm throwing I'm throwing Carlton in the frisky category now. They they've kind of evolved out of you know the question mark Ravens to you know the the mild the mildly frisky I mean, Ravens. This is this is like the the perfect Bill Simmonism. Bill Simmonsism. Absolutely. But like, are they? Are they the good bad team or like are they the bad good team? Would you know what are they just good? What <laughs> I could be I'll be asking me myself that question for the next 40 years. But let's put this game to bed and let's finally get to the game that uh you know y- you were live in attendance for and I, I off the top I'm going to make some quick remarks um just about the experience viewing from home. That game of course was the UFT Blues signing or I should say punching their ticket to the playoffs with a 13-10 victory over the McMaster Marauders at Ron Joyce Stadium. The vaunted mystique of Ron Joyce has seemingly dissipated to near nothingness at this point after all the stats that uh, were getting thrown around that, you know, I think, hey, if Mac people are mad at me for saying that, you can blame one of your own. Tom Sterling brought it up early in the year and I don't, and he clearly jinxed you um about you know how good they were at home and hey we've both played at Andres. that's a tough place to play only comment i'm gonna make off off the jump is that you know all these games start at one o'clock say for western ottawa start at noon by the second quarter of waterloo windsor that game was over which made this game win or go home and the inconsistency of the OUA TV stream. Once again, I'll eat crow on being on, on bashing on them a little in our preview pod for this week about the scenario that I thought made no sense, and it turned out that I was just misreading it and misunderstanding it. It did make sense, but like I said, there's plenty of other things with the OUA that I will not necessarily lighten up on, and the fact that, like, I don't know. I, I'm sure it. it, it, it I, I'm sure they obviously they didn't intentionally mean it to be that game, but the fact that the game that you had to have had some certainty was, you know, going to be a winner go home and the stream kept cutting out and I got the content currently unavailable screen popping up. It was just, it was madness and I tweeted about it and there were a few folks, you know, sending their similar sentiments that whether that was happening to them in this game, that it's obviously something that's been, uh, 
a problem uh, in previous weeks. But you know, hey, I, I'm for uh, uh, good, uh, if not great, great if not perfect, and we'll get there hopefully. But man, that was frustrating. Nate, you had no difficulty with lags on the field except for the 10 minute lag that happened in the last with you know a minute left to play in the game. Um, Tell us all about the fan experience because I know it must have been, well, I know from what you've told me already, it was a very entertaining uh, event, not just for the on the field action. Yeah, I mean, you know how it is when you get to a game and and you, you get there early, you know, you find your seat and, and people start to file in around you and, you know, around me, it was a, a lot of maroon track suits and uh, so a lot of non-dressers for the Mac team, you know, I ended up sitting right in front of the, let's say the peanut gallery uh, during the game. It was a a very tense experience, you know, and, you know, I don't want to get into, uh, let's not have a repeat. Let's not have a repeat. We're not trying to expose anybody or anything like that, or or talk about what, what 19, 20, 20 year old guys say uh, when, when the emotions are high. You know, I can only tell you what what I say when emotions are high. You know what I mean? I know what it's like, but uh, definitely I'll just say it was an interesting experience, a fun experience, probably like the most the most fun I've had um, as a fan at an OUA game, just because the level of the stakes that were so high. Um, and I mean, regardless of we can look at this season in a vacuum, but just kind of the historical implications of what what is going on in this game. You know, and just to set up, obviously you have U of T, you know, kind of someone that a program that, you know, people were like, you know, what's going to happen after this whole Clay Sakara thing? And they lose Corby and they lose Love Grove. Uh, you know, what's going to happen with these guys um, and a Mac team, you know, that was coming in as kind of didn't make the playoffs last year. But, you know, they still have Duke. They're going to bounce back. And after this one, a U of T team that's made the playoffs in back to back seasons. And a MAC team that is now missing the playoffs in back-to-back seasons. A U of T team going into MAC and pulling out a win to make the playoffs. I mean, just like thinking about hearing that, you know, five years ago or something like that is just, you know, it's really crazy. And I think it's really kind of a, you know, statement of where these two programs are right now. And maybe that's getting ahead of things. But in talking about the game action in general, um, you know, definitely a very cagey affair. Um, you know, the game started off with Mac driving down the field, seemingly effortlessly going up seven, nothing. And I think, you know, I was wondering to myself, am I, am I going to be leaving this one a little early? Um, Cause they looked really good. Um, but it was really nothing after that from their offense um, besides a, a drive at the end of the half, but it was just, you know, over and over again, you know, two evenly matched teams, but you know, Toronto, starting in their own end time and time again and marching it out, marching it out, marching it out. And you know what? Maybe they didn't score touchdowns. Maybe they settled for field goals. Maybe they settled for punts. But they were constantly moving the ball in this game. It was very rare that the UFT offense came on the field and it was a two and out. You know, they were in second medium a lot in manageable situations. But even those second and long situations, they were making the plays, whether it was a, a Kinsale scramble, whether it was a, you know, a pass on an out route over the middle, catching traffic, things like that. Time and time again, U of T was making the more mature plays, the more clutch plays to get through this one. And it just felt to me like it was really kind of a swing of, of two programs in the balance of one that's up and coming and one that doesn't quite know where they are right now. And, you know, it was, it was an absolutely shocking ending in the stands for this one. Uh, you know, there's a lot of befuddled fans uh, walking or walking out of Ron Joyce after this one. Uh, it was truly electric Zach. And, you know, I, I could I could really talk about this for another hour if you asked me to. So I'm, I'm going to pass it back to you. Well, you know, you said something early in there um, that I just wanted to to highlight because obviously, kind of joked about that. We joked about this already that you know UFT number of folks in that and around that program weren't too happy when we slotted them in for not winning a game this year. It can be understated that you lost an OUA MVP candidate at quarterback, a former All-Canadian at receiver in Corby, and a OUA All-Star in his own right in Nolan Lovegrove at the other receiver position. And, you know, when you, me, and Tom were looking through the teams in the preseason saying, you know, kind of similar to the Waterloo where it's like, 
lot of lot of young guys in there, like none not very established. You know, I mean, obviously guys like Michael Lehman, Daniel Diodati, Adam Williams, still big parts of it. But as we've said, this is by, by and away been Adam Williams' best season running the ball for UFT. I'd be surprised if he's had a more productive season. And as far as Diodati and Lehman, very good receivers, but they were the third and fourth option behind Lovegrove and Corby. And now working with a quarterback, well, A, we didn't know who that quarterback was going to be. And, you know, as we kind of talked about, it was this kind of the, the Kinsel Phillip like roller coaster this year. It was very up and down, which is understandable for a first year player. So it's just, it's, it's all the more special. And I just, I think it really go like, I'm sure the people at UFT are like, oh, we, we knew we were a playoff-bound team. We knew this. And, and and frankly, of course, they know more about the shape their team's in than we do. You know, they have a sense of how the guys are looking during the summer and all that stuff. But, like, I, I'm, you know, it, as a Toronto guy myself, just being from Toronto, of course, I played at Guelph, seeing uh, UFT um, and then the odd time that maybe York can look kind of promising going back to the Hunchak days warms my heart because football's in a bad position in Toronto I mean shout out to the Argos um for clinching the east but you know anyways very happy to see them get into the playoffs very exciting in very exciting fashion that they do it and uh you know and and something like this is like so, so big for the program and recruiting and and you know as much as you know, you thought it was going to be hard after this year. You have another season like this where you're going to go out and recruit it. And, and, you know, Toronto, you know, they're not a team that recruits in the GTA a ton. You know what I mean? They're the kind of team that, you know, it makes sense for them to go out west and say, hey, look at this city we got over here. Look at this team we got in the heart of the city. It's the best university in the country. And, oh, by the way, now we've made playoffs in back-to-back years. And we're we're a real deal. We're not, we're not you know, the U of T of, of the the knots and the, the teens. No, 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 no. This is not how it's going to be anymore. Um, and I think there's, you know, tremendous for potential for them to build on this. Um, so I don't I don't know if you want to transition into kind of Mac at all. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't want to focus completely on U of T. It's a huge moment for them, but I, you know, on the Mac piece, um, maybe a bit similar as we set up, um, and we'll get to that game shortly with uh, with 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 Waterloo and specifically with Gordon Lamb. Um, I don't have his eligibility sheet in front of me right here, but um, to the best of my knowledge, and correct me if I'm wrong, was this now the last game we saw of Andreas Duick's uh, Marauder he ran, career? He ran out with the seniors on senior day. I can only assume that means it was his last game. And, and you know what he and so then you know he goes out a OUA a pardon me a, a Yates Cup champion going back to 2019. Um, I'd be curious to see sort of in that five year or possibly six year span with the COVID year kind of um, playing a role in that where his numbers stack up as far as pure yardage because we kept saying all year with Duick where I mean he finished off uh, the year once once again just the funny thing with him and DeYoung being separated by uh, a mere you know just less than four yards as the top yards per uh, game leaders in the OUA and 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 as two quarterbacks that were you know veteran quarterbacks who were very relied upon to pass the ball because they didn't necessarily have the strongest running games going for them. So at least for, for Duick, um, heck of a career he put up. And, you know, I don't want to say too, too much. I mean, I mean, as far as the specifics of this game, you know, you're right. Off the jump, it did feel like, and, and that was kind of, you know, the, the Mac pick on my end, uh, uh, though a bit, you know, but now in the actual breakdown of it was like, hey, you know what? You're at home. You have this opportunity to lock up this playoff uh, appearance. Just take care of business. Like, you know, just 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 get it done. Like UFC's, they've proven they're a good team. But, you know, we've seen in spurts like this MAC team kind of flex their muscles a little bit. And, I have, and, it's yeah. No more so than than last week in the Queens game. And totally. you know what? A game that you could argue, I would argue they almost should have won that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And... Like how wild would that have been? And like, if they win that game, obviously that changes a whole, introduces us to a whole new universe of outcomes. That like, I'm not even gonna pretend to think we can predict what this week would have looked like. But just imagine that there's a universe out there that exists where that exactly happens. That they take out Queens in Kingston, but then they still drop this game. And you know what? 
it wouldn't have really been that surprising because Max just that's been kind of their mo this year. It's you know it it goes back to the the offensive line that's been a problem dating back to at least last year where they you know do it got sacked three times again in this in this game. Uh, I don't have the sack totals on the whole season in front of me. And just the running, like you look at their rushing stats and it's like it doesn't instill confidence. And, you know, it's now official that we obviously didn't see Justice Allen at all this year. Don't know what the what the book is on him. But I'm I mean, unless he gets to, I guess, save eligibility for not playing this year, I believe he should be graduating out, if not darn close to it. And then I look at some of these names. I'm like, well, hey, maybe you'll get some offensive line recruits coming in, or there's some guys waiting in the wings that are going to step up. I know they have a veteran and Max guy on that line on their line who I believe is going to be leaving. But it's like when I look through some of these names, I just I, I don't know who like who's up next, so to speak. And obviously, the who's up next thing you think about Keegan Hall, um, and that'll be pretty. Spe- and uh, you know, hope his time will be special. Um, but uh, man, it's and you know, I don't know. I don't know. We can do a full sort of breakdown later on in the offseason about some of these teams, Mac included, but it's a, uh, it's, 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 they're a tough team to peg. No. And I think, you know what? The defense was outstanding all year. You have to say that, um, you know, I'm a guy, you know, I, I'm a fan of Keegan Hall's, you know, I think he's going to be a great quarterback in this league. Um, but, but past that, I mean, like I would want to say I'm confident about their future, but I felt like I was, you know, I felt pretty decent about them this year and, the hell happened they're two and six you know whatever a york loss say they're three and five they're still three and five that's like a pretty disappointing you know it's a disappointment and so like i can't say that i feel confident they're going to turn it around next year you know obviously i don't know the answer to that but after what i saw this weekend you know there's a lot of a lot of things a lot of questions uh that are going to be around that campus in the offseason yeah, and no, you're and you're right. And the defense, um, stellar as it's been all year, you know, well, kind of similar with Ottawa, perhaps a bit more so in that secondary. Guys like Nana Yasserbe, um, Josh Cumber, Devonte Ballantine, um, Teo Smith. Some of these really, uh, some of the ballers they have out for them uh, in that secondary. But of course, you know, not too sure where all those guys are necessarily at with their eligibility and things. So hey, you know what, um, U of T took care of business on the road and uh you know big shout out to them so they will be proceeding to Kingston next week for uh, once again that week one rematch and Mac is uh they're back to the drawing board now cuz it's uh I I don't yeah well, I I'm I'm not going to say too much more about it without having to, some time to really look at the roster and think about you know what moves could be made or you know who who's going to be around and who might be stepping up but uh hey Mac, we'll see you in 2023. Um, we'll put that one to bed and we'll go down Highway 6 to... We just talked about Mac, obviously, the 2-6 and six record being pretty disappointing. I have to imagine for most people, though, Guelph now officially ending their 2022 campaign at 1-7 and seven, and that sole win being a I'm just trying to find it a 41 to 35 win against Waterloo this has to be the most disappointing season um final score the Carlton Ravens 35 the Guelph Griffins 24 this game wasn't really close that score lends a little bit more to the thinking that like they were in it they weren't really in it they blocked um, a punt they did block <laughs> they they did block a punt and then Carlton came back and blocked a field goal out of, I guess, like, like ah, we, we won't let you. That just must have been some bad, some mad PTSD for Carlton having a blocked punt in Guelph, knowing that that's uh, what led to their 2019 playoff loss, if I'm having my years right there. Um, but let's put Guelph aside for right now, because that might also be like, we might just have to do a Mac Guelph like emergency pod sometime in the offseason to just hash it all out but you know as we kind of set up in in the open um obviously i wonder if that's a situation where like like what we were talking about u of t and and how confident you would be you know it was because i remember hearing on the broadcast i'm talking about this being a young team and that i wonder like 
if they were confident, you know, they were going to kind of be in the mix for, for, for a Yates cup again, you know, it's just a question I have. I would just be curious about it. I, I have absolutely no insight on that, but just, just a thought. No, definitely. And, and you know what? It was very nice. If only for this one game to, uh, to finally see Christian Stewart play for Guelph. Cause he was definitely along with some other guys that I didn't expect, you know, to say the least, obviously losing Jared Beeksma and AJ Allen uh, were going to be huge losses for that defense. But then to find out that Ben Lack wasn't coming back at safety, uh, that Christian Stewart was out for pretty much the whole year, Anthony Mortuzo was out for so long, and, and um, forgetting one more guy off the top of my head that um, we I think we would have thought was going to be there who wasn't. Um, and as we saw, this was a team that, you know, I mean, the offensive uh, deficiencies were apparent, but this was a team that that just got run all over all year long. And part of the irony of this matchup is that, like, the other team in the OUA, aside from York, that was just as bad, well, maybe Waterloo too, were these Carlton Ravens. So it kind of felt like something's got to give in this game. And, and something did give in, in the form of, you know what? It doesn't. It's not a beautiful thing, but you know what? For Carlton, 174 yards on the ground, two touchdowns. I don't have their uh, their season stats in front of me, but I have to imagine that that was probably one of their better rushing performance. Of course, it comes at the hand of a pretty weak uh, rush defense in Guelph this year. Um, but so for Carlton, how much stock do you put in the fact that they pick up the win against Waterloo at home? They pick up this win against Guelph on the road, going into the playoffs. They're on the road again. Um, in some ways, it kind of you know you go from Guelph, you have to go back to Ottawa, and then come back all the way to Kitchener Waterloo the following weekend to play Laurier. Um, he, he, obviously, the opponent opponents matter to say the least in sports. Um, but as far as like uh, parlaying that into momentum you know obviously it comes down to leadership and how you sort of spin things but just from from your perspective like seeing how they performed in this game our big critique seems to be the inconsistency for this team has that somewhat um solidified in your mind at all or was this just like hey you beat you beat teams that were worse than you don't don't be getting too high and mighty about it yeah and i think this goes back to kind of the schedule thing you mentioned and the thing is, like, teams get better and worse over the season. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but I mean, you know, am I now picking Carlton over Laurier next week because you beat Waterloo and Guelph? Hell no. Like, I'm not going to do that. You know what I mean? And, like, you know, let's not – this is a team that hasn't been good on the road, you know? It's a team – they lost to Toronto on the road. They lost – they got slapped up at Queens on the road. You know what I mean? You know, they won the Guelph and, you know, sure, they did their thing, but, like, it wasn't – didn't blow the doors off them like we've seen some other teams do. You know what I mean? And, you know, sure, Guelph's improved a bit over the second half of the season. But, like, it's a good season for Carlton. And five and three is great. And you know, the funny thing is, is I I don't, like, I, I wouldn't be shocked if somehow they came out the win next week just because, like, I feel like they're just they're just going to spite me if I say too many bad things about them because I just feel, I feel like – that's just how I feel about it. But like, man, like I just like in my mind, it's like, yeah, you did this at Guelph. What are you going to do at Laurier next week? You know what I mean? What are you going to do at Laurier next week? Cause are you going to be able to run the ball this well? You know, are you going to feel comfortable throwing the ball? You had the Ferdinand's brothers back. That's nice. But, um, you know, it's funny because it's a team I feel, I feel very bad about. But in terms of what I want to say about them, I feel like very easily they could they could make me pay for what for any opinion I have somehow, some way. So that, that just sums up that 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 just sums up Carlton's year this this, this season where it just they're just the, the they're the consummate, you know, joker. They're the consummate wild card of the bunch. Um I do feel like there was something a little more like consistent in this game. But once again, as you said, it's like, great. You, you did that against Waterloo. You did that against, uh, you did that against Guelph. I mean, this is a Laurier team. They're going to play. That is like, you know, measures uh, magnitudes better defensively than both of those teams. What they can do on the run game will take advantage of the fact that Carlton for Carlton this year, that's been a bit of a weakness 
you know, obviously we've seen um, a guy like Shaheem Charles Brown have some stellar performances and, you know, teams have been able to get after um, Taylor Elgersma. But I, I'm, I'm getting into the preview pod. I'm, getting, I'm, getting, I'm stepping on the preview pod. Um, nonetheless, it's it's just so funny, though, thinking about that, like, at the end of the day, they finished five and three, like, for, you know, new head coach, uh, you know, Tanner Young coming off missing a year, um, you know, with the two uh, sort of young uh, receiver and in, in Kasim Ferdinand really coming into his own. All these things where it's like going into the year, if you told the people at Carlton, hey, you'll finish up five and three, hey, you're in the playoffs, like, you know, ostensibly tied um, in point differential, uh, differential uh, making up the difference of not getting a home playoff game. It's like, you know what that's they probably take that it's just yeah no no i and that's a really good point is you know it's always important to, to contextualize things and i think you know it is a good point i'm sure this is something to be proud of and be happy about and you know what maybe it's just the white helmets you know maybe it's just losing those those cool black helmets you know i was a fan of those helmets you know it's just so the the white's so boring to me you throw the shield on the side yeah something truly unique before that that was cool I don't know. Maybe that's it, but maybe that's just me. Well, we certainly know that's it for the Guelph Griffins. Um, one in seven, solely on the back of beating Waterloo by six points on the road. Um, hey, Carlton hits the road themselves again, taking on the Wilfred Laurie Golden Hawks next week in the KW, as we already set up. And uh, we'll do some more setting up for that one later in the week. But let's put that game to bed because, uh, like I said, at the end of the day, it wasn't all that interesting. But unfortunately, we're going to a game that was, well, frankly, even less interesting. So this might be a very concise wrap up. And it was the Windsor Lancers. Finishing off their season with a big victory at home, beating the Waterloo Warriors. Final score in this game, Windsor 39, Waterloo 11. And, you know, as I said in reference to the Mac Toronto game, as far as that being a winner go home situation, yes, technically that wasn't officially the case when this game hit double zeros or, or hit zeros at the end of it. And it was official that Windsor was making the playoffs by the end of the first quarter. By maybe not even that far into it. I mean, yeah, sure, you look at the box score. It was only 11 nothing. But Windsor was dominating. Waterloo couldn't get a thing going offensively. And it just snowballed from there. By the half, we're looking at 31-3. to um, it, I mean, then with the other games going on, this was a game that very much drew the, the least of my attention uh, all the way through. Once it was like, okay, cool. Windsor's doing what they're supposed to do. Um, Joey Zorn did what he's done pretty well all season, rushing the ball, only 76, but a couple big runs uh, busts off. Chris John with some nice runs as well. This uh, rookie for them and Mambo having a nice big uh, big run. I mean, not, hey, Mambo number five all day. I'm not sure what number he's wearing, actually. You're, you're, but, you're, really, uh, you're really doing a great job right now, Zach. You're doing I, a fantastic job, <laughs> Nate. It's a quarter to eleven right now. I'm, I'm, I'm. My brain thinks I'm sleeping. I, I, no, I would have, I would have stopped already. That's what I'm saying. You, you're saying so many good things. <laughs> this game. I okay. Well, same kind of question. Then I'll throw your way. Um, and talking about Carlton, um, finish up your season against uh, you know, a, a lesser opponent in Waterloo beat them up you know a lot of people talked about that western game and drawing confidence from it and being able to stay within a score going into the fourth quarter which hey i'm trying to think back to the queen's game but if it wasn't that one then that's you're the only team that's been able to do that so far this season stay that close for that long and then before that they get their win against york and you know to say the least this is you know Windsor had those really high moments early in the season with that win at Guelph. We now recontextualize that with what we know about Guelph. Um, do you feel like this is a momentum gaining performance, or once again, is this kind of just like with Guelph, where it's like, hey, you just, or with Carlton beating Guelph, you just, you, you did what everyone thought you were supposed to do? Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, like, look, I mean, if you're Windsor, you know, I feel like, you especially i mean during that first game of the year you didn't really know you're doing at quarterback now i mean it's a pretty decent game from danny skelton um after this one to kind of add to the running game and you know 
going back up against this Ottawa team, I mean, that's something you're absolutely going to need to do. And that's, you're going to be facing one of the top secondaries in the conference. So, um, you know, you guys better uh, be able to throw the ball pretty well. Um, but, you know, I think that's what it'll come down to for them. I mean, we know they can run the ball a bit. We know they can play some defense, but for me, it's like, yeah, you could throw the ball against Waterloo, but you know what? Like I, I really, I really am, am, am working to find my upset pick for next week, Zach. And, um, you know, I just uh, don't tell me you're thinking of. You're, I'm thinking of every scenario, wins, all, every, all, oh, all scenarios, every you're, scenario you're, possible. You're running through your analytics, you know. So, go, you know, go back. To, we can go back to that game. And it's it's been so long ago. I don't remember all the machinations of it, of it. Obviously, Ottawa getting well, them. they lost their yeah. quarterback. You know, they won with a backup. It was a really tight game. Um, you know, Ottawa scored off a, a Windsor pick six. I believe so, you know, really leaned on their defense to win that one. You know, definitely it came down to a final drive, uh, if I remember correctly. So I feel like to me, though, it seems like like I I feel like I'm again, we're stepping on the the, the later (laughs) pods. Guys, uh, Windsor beat Waterloo and and that was the end of the regular season for those two teams. Yeah, that's probably all that has, been, has to be said about it. Um, the one thing I will say as far as like trying to understand these teams a little bit better by, you know, diving into their previous games is that trip down to Ottawa when they lost to Carlton. I mean, 24 to 7. Um, and I think there was that was one of those games where it was like, I think Carlton everyone was like, on Windsor. You know, they yeah. were coming off the U of T win in which they won by 30 points. And I think Carlton is one of those games where like Carlton, like, got a defensive score i think got a special team score and that was kind of the thinking of like i guess this is just how carlton wins games is they just like piece it together but you know by hooker by crook um that's the game that still really you know befuddles me because like i don't see those two teams on paper i definitely would give the edge to carlton but and i think that's you know like again windsor's like they (laughs) sure we said some good things about them in the past but this is their first time back in the playoffs for a long time you know, you look at look at back at their schedule this year. Um, you know, I'm just going to click on their logo quickly, but I don't they haven't really, you know, pulled out the the close games. You know, Ottawa's an example of that. Um, you know, a game against Carlton, we all thought was closer. You know, it wasn't close. Um, and a team like Carlton, <laughs> a team like Carlton, like I feel like they're just like. They never blow me away in terms of the, oh, wow, look at all the yarders they had against this team. And the other, like, they've always been close in terms of yards with the other team and things like that. But I feel like they're just, you know, a football team that's mature enough to kind of do the right things enough to win in a lot of cases where other teams will make mistakes. So, you know, in terms of Windsor, I think there's a lot of, I guess, growing up to do, let's say, if, um, you know, they're, they're going to win next week. But I, I'm not going to say they're not capable of doing it. You know, it's going to be tough on the road, but. And to say something about Waterloo, um, hey, you know what? It's been it's it's been uh, uh, it, it's been great seeing Nolan Caban uh, this year, um, seemingly take the reins of that QB one spot. It would seem, though, at times it got challenged, but mostly that seems like it was just a product of games that they were just the score was getting really crooked on, and it's like, hey, why, why might as well switch it up? Because like, why we're we just gonna leave this kid in to get the crap kicked out of him, and. Once again, uh, to Goran Lamb for five years of of nothing but prolific football in the OUA, uh, sir, we salute you. Hell of a career, um, and hey, uh, Bert, get back on the recruiting trail. I'm sure you've already been out there doing your thing. Um, it's time to rebuild. I look at guys like Jack Hinsberger. I'm thinking, what year is he in now? Um, Jack Andrews, I'm not even sure. I'm not even seeing him on the statue for them. Like I said, this game was, like I said, a bit lower on my attention span than some of the others. So, I mean, defensively, once again, we obviously talk about Trey Ford leaving the program, but you know, those teams, when they were competitive in the Trey Ford era, um, you know, had ballers on both sides of the ball that is what made them that much more disappointing when they were finishing up, you know, four and four and getting knocked out in the first round when they made the playoffs. Cause it was like, no, no, you got like 
tons of talent in your secondary. You got some studs at receiver. You got some great offensive linemen. You got some really strong running backs. And uh, hey, they're just needing to you know refill the coffers seemingly on all angles there. So Waterloo, we'll see you in 2023. Windsor, we'll see you next week in Ottawa. Take on the GGs. Um, so once again, um, I know we obviously set up all those games, but just to run through the playoff slate, and we'll talk about those in more detail later in the week. Western at 8-0, securing the bye. Queens taking second place at 7-1. and We'll be hosting the 4-4 and UFT Blues. The Ottawa GGs coming off the loss at home against Western finishes up 6-2, and and we'll be hosting the 4-4 and Windsor Lancers. And the Wilfred Laurier Golden Hawks, despite the loss at home, to Queens maintains a home playoff game where they'll be hosting the uh, now uh, the now frisky Carlton Ravens also sitting at four and three where literally anything can happen. Um, Nate, any last words on this week uh, from you before we call it a wrap and uh, I quickly vanish off into uh, dreamland. Uh, it's playoff time, baby. Say no more. Well, We'll talk to you very shortly in the week as we'll do a bit of a season recap. And then Tom now will be back later in the week to set up those playoff games we just mentioned. So we'll talk to you very soon at 55.